Welcome to the August 3rd, 2023 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we'll learn more about ventricular arrhythmias in sickle cell anemia, discuss the molecular heterogeneity of pediatric monomorphic post-solid organ transplant lymphoproliferative disorders, and uncover the role of the bone marrow microenvironment as a driver of myeloid disorders. We first examined data in the blood article entitled Determinants of Ventricular Arrhythmias in Sickle Cell Anemia Towards a Better Prevention of Sudden Cardiac Death by Thomas de Humier from Henri Mondor Hospital in Créteil, France, and colleagues. One of the main causes of early death in sickle cell anemia, or SCA, is sudden death, which has historically been attributed to narcotic overdosing. However, recent studies have found that a significant proportion of early death in SCA may be attributable to ventricular rhythm disorders, and that cardiovascular, thromboembolic, or cerebral etiologies could be contributing factors. Cardiac complications in SCA are characterized by diffuse myocardial fibrosis, a well-known finding associated with ventricular arrhythmia, especially in the setting of hypoxemia, acidosis, or hydroelectricity disorders, which are frequently observed in this population. Previous studies have reported increased QT prolongation and a higher prevalence of arrhythmias in patients with SCA, despite emerging evidence supporting the existence of ventricular arrhythmia in SCA, there is currently no data assessing its prevalence and impact on prognosis. The aim of the current study was to gain a better understanding of ventricular arrhythmias in patients with SCA through a comprehensive evaluation of ECG data, cardiac imaging, and biological parameters. The study included 100 adult patients with SCA followed in the Sickle Cell Referral Center of Henri Mondor Teaching Hospital between November 2018 and March 2022, and included in Repacur Registry with suspected or documented cardiac involvement. Study subjects underwent a thorough physical examination with assessment of cardiac risk factors and routine laboratory tests. The day before hospitalization, a simultaneous three-channel, 24-hour ECG monitoring was performed. In addition, all patients had a comprehensive two-dimensional M-mode, Doppler, and tissue Doppler echocardiography performed. The study's primary endpoint was the occurrence of ventricular arrhythmia, defined as sustained or non-sustained ventricular tachycardia. More than 500 premature ventricular contractions on a 24-hour halter or recent history of ablation for ventricular tachycardia. Mean patient age was 46 plus or minus 13 years, and 48% were males. 47% were referred for dyspnea, 22% for chest pain, and 11% for palpitation or changes in ECG. 82% of study subjects were treated with hydroxyurea, and 27% were included in the erythrocytophoresis program. Over the course of the study, ventricular arrhythmias were observed in 22% of patients, a worrisomely high proportion. Nine had non-sustained ventricular tachycardia, 
with a range of 4 to 121 consecutive premature ventricular contractions. 15 had more than 500 PVCs, and one had a history of ventricular tachycardia ablation. Overall, 81% of men and 34% of women developed ventricular arrhythmia, male gender, a low platelet count, and a less negative global longitudinal left ventricular strain percentage significantly increased the risk for ventricular arrhythmias. Other tests that were associated with a high incidence of arrhythmias included an elevated natriuretic peptide blood test, or NT-PRO-BNP, greater than 160 nanograms per liter, and a lower E to A ratio on echocardiography, reflecting ventricular strain. Moreover, global longitudinal strain correlated to PVC load in 24 hours, and a cutoff of negative 17.5% could predict ventricular arrhythmia with a sensitivity of 82% and a specificity of 63%. The authors concluded that ventricular arrhythmias are common in patients with sickle cell anemia, especially in men. The study also found global longitudinal strain to be a valuable parameter for improvement of rhythmic risk stratification. In an accompanying commentary, Ankit Desai from the Indiana University School of Medicine in Indianapolis, Indiana, notes that the preliminary data presented by de Humier and collaborators underscore the potential pathological importance of subtle left ventricular systolic dysfunction and a novel gender disparity in SCA. Importantly, the authors found that mild forms of left ventricular systolic dysfunction are more prevalent and may be associated with pro-arrhythmic consequences, even in cases when ejection fraction remains normal. This implication is further supported by trends with NT-PRO-BNP and E to A ratios, both markers for cardiac dysfunction and all-cause mortality in SCA. Desai further notes that the association between ventricular arrhythmias and lower platelet counts raises questions about the need for additional, larger studies to understand sickle cell-specific determinants of cardiac arrhythmias. Finally, despite the limitations that include a biased population of patients and absence of an independent cohort, the study highlights potential deficiencies in the current approach of SCA management and suggests the need for careful cardiac risk factor evaluation of this patient group. Next up, we'll discuss the findings from the blood article entitled Decoding the Molecular Heterogeneity of Pediatric Monomorphic Post-Solid Organ Transplant Lymphoproliferative Disorders by Julia Salmaron Villalobos from Institut d'Investigations Biomedics, August P. Isunier in Barcelona, Spain, and colleagues. Post-transplant lymphoproliferative disorders, or PTLD, are relatively common complications after solid organ or hematopoietic stem cell transplantations, especially in pediatric transplant recipients. Diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, or DLBCL, is the most common subtype of monomorphic post-transplant lymphoproliferative disorder in both adult and pediatric patients, while Burkitt lymphoma is less common but associated with aggressive clinical presentation and different pathological and prognostic characteristics. 
These two entities are also the most frequent types of mature B-cell non-Hodgkin lymphoma in immunocompetent children and adolescents with well-defined genetic features. Despite the similarities between these two entities, the biology and genetics of post-transplant Burkitt lymphomas remain largely unknown, while post-transplant DLBCL is associated with recurrent alterations in the JAK-STAT pathway, but absence of mutations typically present in immunocompetent children with DLBCL, including SOX1, and genes involved in the NF-kappa-B signaling pathway, such as CARD11. An additional complicating factor is the fact that there is no standard of care for monomorphic PTLD in children, even though this group of patients is especially vulnerable due to risk of toxicity and rejection, as well as susceptibility to infection. The first treatment step is typically focused on reducing immunosuppression, followed by rituximab with or without chemotherapy. The aim of the current study was to better understand the specific genetic, clinical, and pathological features of pediatric monomorphic post-transplant PTLD and to clarify whether the pathogenesis of these lymphomas is the same as in immunocompetent children. The study included 31 patients with solid organ transplant-related monomorphic PTLD 18 years of age or younger at diagnosis. 24 patients had DLBCL, mostly classified as activated B-cell lymphoma, and seven had Burkitt lymphoma. 93% of patients were positive for the Epstein-Barr virus. Clinical data, transplant details, and information related to patient management were retrospectively collected. The authors employed an integrated molecular approach that included fluorescence in situ hybridization, targeted gene sequencing, and copy number arrays to elucidate the molecular and genomic features of transplant-related monomorphic PTLD. By comparing pediatric cases of PTLD-DLBCL and PTLD-Burkitt lymphoma to their counterparts occurring as de novo lymphomas in immunocompetent children and PTLD-DLBCL in adults, the authors aimed to better understand the translational biology of pediatric B-cell PTLD. Their findings revealed that patients with PTLD-Burkitt lymphoma carried mutations in MYC, ID3, DDX3X, ARID1A, or CCND3 genes, resembling the mutational pattern of Burkitt lymphoma in immunocompetent patients, but with fewer copy number alterations. Furthermore, patients with PTLD-Burkitt lymphoma had higher mutational burden than patients with PTLD-DLBCL. Interestingly, PTLD-DLBCL had a very heterogeneous genomic profile with fewer mutations and copy number alterations than immunocompetent DLBCL. The most frequently mutated genes in PTLD-DLBCL included epigenetic modifiers and genes of notch pathway, which were both mutated at a rate of 28%. Mutations in cell cycle and notch pathways were associated with worse outcome. All seven patients with PTLD-Burkitt lymphoma treated with pediatric B-cell non-Hodgkin lymphoma protocols survived, and 54% of patients with DLBCL were cured with immunosuppression reduction, rituximab, and or low-dose chemotherapy. 
The authors concluded that their findings highlight the relative genetic simplicity of pediatric PTLD-DLBCL, as well as the shared pathogenesis between PTLD-Burkitt lymphoma and Epstein-Barr-positive immunocompetent Burkitt lymphoma. In an accompanying commentary, Nader El Malawani and Kala Kamdar from the Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas, note that the study by Salmaron Villalobos and colleagues establishes, for the first time, the similarities of the genetic landscape of monomorphic PTLD with those of diffuse large B-cell lymphoma and Burkitt lymphoma histology. The findings demonstrate that pediatric PTLD-DLBCL is genetically less complex and biologically distinct from both adult disease as well as de novo pediatric DLBCL. The study also shows that the mutational profile of PTLD Burkitt lymphoma shares the biological profile with de novo EBV-positive Burkitt lymphoma and supports the widely accepted practice of treating PTLD Burkitt lymphoma with intensive chemotherapy used for immunocompetent patients. The unifying molecular feature of all Burkitt lymphomas is the C-MYC rearrangement. While the findings from this study indicate that a molecular classification system for pediatric PTLD may be used for more precise risk stratification and personalized therapy, El Malawani and Kamdar warn about the shortcomings of this approach in monomorphic DLBCL and the need to integrate molecular characteristics with traditional morphology in PTLD classification. They conclude that additional studies are needed to prospectively evaluate the identified molecular biomarkers, and that any newly developed risk stratification system for pediatric PTLD should reliably identify those patients who may be effectively treated with milder Epstein-Barr virus-directed rituximab-based therapies. In the final part of today's podcast, we will review an article in Blood entitled Haplodeficiency of the 9P21 Tumor Suppressor Locus Causes Myeloid Disorders Driven by the Bone Marrow Microenvironment by Zhu Fang from the New York University Grossman School of Medicine in New York City and colleagues. The loss of tumor suppressor genes, activation of signaling pathways, or epigenetic dysregulation have been recognized as drivers of hematological disorders, including myelodysplastic syndromes, myeloproliferative neoplasms, and acute myeloid leukemia. Both MDS and MPN arise from hematopoietic stem cells in the bone marrow. MDS is characterized by myeloid cell dysplasia, ineffective hematopoiesis, and peripheral blood cytopenias. While the features of MPNs include the absence of morphologic dysplasia and the overproduction of differentiated hematopoietic cells. Under normal conditions, the bone marrow microenvironment is essential for support and regulation of normal hematopoiesis. Emerging evidence is also pointing to a potential role of aberrant bone marrow microenvironment in the development of hematological malignancies. Bone marrow fibrosis, including reticulin and or collagen 1-3 fibers, has been identified in both MDS and MPN disorders, and AML. Interestingly, MDS patients with bone marrow fibrosis have lower overall survival, higher rates of progression to AML 
and lower survival after hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. The P21 locus on chromosome 9 houses a cluster of tumor suppressor genes relevant for carcinogenesis, including MTAP, CDKN2A, CDKN2B, and CDKN2BAS. A combined deletion of these genes has been identified in numerous cancers, including leukemia, mesothelioma, melanoma, and glioblastoma. Furthermore, monoallelic loss of 9P21 is found in pediatric acute lymphoblastic leukemia and is linked to reduced survival. While the role of individual genes on the 9P21 locus has been partly elucidated, the effects of a combined loss of the entire locus on cancer development and or fibrosis have never been studied in vivo. In the current study, the authors developed a mouse model that allows conditional deletion of the entire 9P21 syntenic locus to examine in more detail its role in tumor suppression. They found that mice with germline monoallelic deletion or induced biallelic deletion of the 9P21 syntenic locus develop a fatal myelodysplastic syndrome, myeloproliferative neoplasm-like disease, which was accompanied with aberrant trabecular bone formation and or fibrosis in the bone marrow. Surprisingly, 9P21 haplodeficient mice did not develop acute leukemia, but rather extensive marrow fibrosis, resulting in a hypoplastic bone marrow and extramedullary hematopoiesis in the spleen and liver. Moreover, hematopoiesis was significantly disturbed in these mice, and they developed severe anemia, thrombocytopenia, and morphologic changes characteristic of myelodysplasia. Haplodeficient mice also displayed abnormal cortical bone formation, pointing to an altered bone marrow microenvironment, reciprocal bone marrow transfers, and conditional targeting of 9P21S suggested that the disease originates in the bone marrow stroma. Single-cell analysis of 9P21S-deficient bone marrow stroma revealed the expansion of chondrocyte and osteogenic precursors, as well as cells with a fibroblast phenotype and increased osteogenic differentiation in vitro. These experiments also showed reduced expression of factors needed to maintain hematopoietic stem progenitor cells, including severely reduced levels of CXCL12, a well-recognized cytokine necessary for normal hematopoiesis. Moreover, 9P21S-deficient mice showed concomitant upregulation of the profibrotic chemokine CXCL13 and multifunctional glycoprotein osteopontin, which has a role in bone remodeling, inflammation, and fibrosis. To evaluate whether these findings hold in the human setting, the authors examined bone samples from MDS patients and found elevated levels of CXCL13 in some samples and correlation between decreased CDKNB2 gene expression and CXCL12 levels. This suggests that there may indeed be tumor suppressor loss within the 9P21 locus in the setting of MDS, but confirmation in a larger patient cohort is needed. Taken together, study findings demonstrate that loss of 9P21 induces reprogramming of mesenchymal stem cells to fibrosis-driving osteoprogenitors and a change in the cytokine balance of the bone marrow microenvironment. 
They also indicate that mutations in the bone marrow microenvironment may be the drivers of MDS, MPN-like disease. In an accompanying commentary, Katharina Gotza from the Technical University of Munich School of Medicine in Munich, Germany, notes that the study by Feng and colleagues demonstrates that deletion of a single copy of the 9P21 tumor suppressor locus induces an aberrant bone marrow microenvironment, leading to loss of support for hematopoiesis, increased marrow fibrosis, and development of a fatal myelodysplastic myeloproliferative disorder. These findings raise several important questions, including how these data relate to driver mutations in hematopoietic stem cells, which are considered the triggers of MDS and AML. Crossing 9P21 haplodeficient mice with mice carrying a heterozygous knock-in allele of FLT3-ITD did not lead to full-blown AML. Gotza suggests that it would be worthwhile to investigate how founding mutations of human MDS and AML, such as DNMT3A, SF3B1, and others, contribute to or affect the disease phenotype in this mouse model. She concludes that the model by Feng and collaborators sets the stage for new studies focused on testing novel niche-based therapies that target the disrupted stem cell niche and bone marrow fibrosis, which has thus far been notoriously difficult to treat. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.